We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Yeah, uh, we got a team. We got a team. Uh, all the attention that I think Devin gathers, myself, uh, everybody on our team, I think it's a, it's a great team effort. We'll, we'll take the win. I'm sure both can say the same. Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast, and wow, let's get right into it. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, is Cameron Payne the best player on the Suns? <laughs> <laughs> is Devin Booker the worst player on the Suns? No, I'm just kidding. Um, man, dude. The Suns are really just... up by 40 points on a national TV game, on a TNT game, the Phoenix Suns were up by 40 points. This so is much. something that we have not seen. I don't know ever. I don't know if there's a way to pull that kind of stat, but it's been at least probably 10 years at least. Trust uh, me, I tried to look up stats about national TV broadcasts. You can't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything, but I wanted to know the last time TNT pulled out of a Suns game because they were <laughs> winning by that much that they wanted to check in, do a live look on a different game that was closer. So all the people like me who were trying to follow along on TNT missed the last few minutes of the game. Not that it really mattered. It doesn't seem like anything crazy happened. But the last time that something like that happened to the Phoenix Suns, I don't I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, it could have been a decade. could have been 20 years. Maybe it's never happened before. Yeah. Um, I feel so validated tonight. <laughs> and if I feel like that, like, what do you think Monty Williams and James Jones are thinking yeah. after a performance like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that specifically for someone like James Jones, when he when he'll look at the box here the way we are after this game and he'll see that Devin Booker had eight points and three assists and the Suns won by 25. And that 25 points, by the way, 
is not indicative of the game as those who watch the game know listening to this podcast but those who didn't they should know that the starters essentially went out when they were up by 40 points and it was the bench that sort of allowed the Pelicans bench back into it a little bit in a way that sort of made it look a lot closer than it was which is kind of interesting by the way for those people who like to look at uh, net rating stats or defense or offense stats this early in the season try to find the what they call luck adjusted ones the ones from guys who are really nerdy and smart because those ones try to factor in <laughs> moments like this because the Suns defense after this should shoot up to probably the best in the league or close to the best in the league there was another blowout earlier today obviously this early in the season a lot of that doesn't matter at the same time this was insanely impressive. The Suns somehow won this game with Devin Booker only having eight points. Really surprising. Yeah, I mean, look, I want to give New Orleans a little bit of credit because the Suns did not pull away in the first quarter. They didn't pull away until the second quarter. And watching this game, it was very clear the Pelicans, Stan Van Gundy, respect Phoenix's creation. They saw this team coming in as the team that led the league in assists this year and respected their ability to have multiple ball handlers who can create. So what they did is they packed the paint. They put a hell of a lot of pressure on Devin Booker and Chris Paul in that early first quarter and frankly on anyone who came inside the paint, daring the Suns to kick it out to shooters and and make them pay for it. Right. And you look in previous seasons, uh, maybe that would have worked. But tonight, I saw Cody yeah. Hunt, just uh, our friend, friend of the pod, Cody Hunt, pulled it up on Twitter. The Suns had 19 threes tonight. They shot 40%, but 19 makes was the fourth most by the team in any game in franchise history. Mm-hmm. So it was the guys like Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, um, Cameron Johnson started firing on all cylinders in, mm-hmm. in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys just, just carried the offense for the Suns, and, and really there was no stopping it for New Orleans um, once they broke open a, a, a sizable lead in the second quarter. Yeah, that's actually how the Pelicans are playing defense so far this season. I was looking into that before the game. It's ultra, ultra aggressive style of defense that essentially, they really pack the paint, but they follow the ball a little bit. It's almost like a a youth soccer team chasing around the ball a little bit, which is a good, it's good to be ultra aggressive. I think it's, it's kind of the way Stan Van Gundy coaches in general, but the disadvantage for Build the Pelicans the is, wall. yeah. The disadvantage for the Pelicans is they just played a Kings team twice in a row that did that exact thing against them. So in a way, they were ultra prepared to play against a defense that played like this. The the shooters were ready to shoot as soon as they caught the ball. Devin Booker and Chris Paul, specifically Chris Paul, were ready to find those shooters on the wing when they packed the paint, and they did. And, you know, it should be said about this team, if Jay Crowder shoots five for eight, they're going to be impossible to beat. It's Mm -hmm. really what it is, and you can't really expect that from him every game, but every once in a while it will happen, and when it does happen, I have a feeling it's going to be a game that looks pretty close to this. He was was really remarkable in this game for multiple reasons. Obviously, the 5 for 8 from 3 was huge. He led the team in scoring. I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of him leading the team in scoring this year, but also a huge thing for this game was rebounding, and he's guarding Zion Williams, uh, Williamson. And if you're guarding Zion, you have to box out. Zion ended this game with only two rebounds. That's a remarkable feat for not only Jay Crowder, but DeAndre Ayton. They did a really good job keeping him out of the paint and really stopping him from getting those types of rebounds that he could get. You know, Jay Crowder only ended, of course, with two rebounds. Nothing spectacular there, but the effort by the entire team, really, and by Monty Williams to prepare them for something like this was really impressive. 
Seven offensive rebounds for New Orleans tonight, 12 for Phoenix. And that's right. a really good point you brought up because New Orleans is, I mean, they've just got big bodies. Steven Adams is another one. He was yeah. held to three offensive rebounds. He got eight overall, you know, didn't have a terrible game, but wasn't a monster on the glass by any means. And, you know, I, I'm glad we're shifting the focus away in the conversation a little bit from the three-point shooting because, look, the three-point shooting tonight was awesome and it was important, but there's going to be a lot of variance in jump shooting teams from night to night in the NBA. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, the Suns just a couple games ago dropped a game against Sacramento because they shot 25% from deep. On a night like tonight, they shot 40%. But I think the important thing that you can take away from tonight is that even if this was a game where the Suns shot closer to 25, 30% from three with the number of open looks that they were generating, there are games where you luck out because of your jump shooting it and you win by five or ten points this was not one of those games this was a game that was dictated by their ball movement the ball whipping around no matter who was on the floor their effort on the glass as you've pointed out um just phenomenal point guard play when it came to playmaking whether it's chris paul or cameron Payne, who continues to be just uber consistent at controlling the pace whenever he's on the court so this was not, you know, this was not the Suns shooters getting hot, even though they did, and sort of lucking into a victory. This was the Suns would have won this game regardless because of all the little things they did too. Yeah, it was a it was a fascinating game for a lot of those reasons. And like I said, the the Kings really attacking them the way they did prepared them for this game really well. And I thought obviously Chris Paul was very ready for that. Cameron Payne, we're probably going to be talking about him a lot this year. He has been the most consistent player so far. Every single game, he has had really good minutes. This game specifically, he just looked like a guy who was literally controlling the pace. He was on the court with Devin Booker, and Devin Booker was deferring the playmaking to Cameron Payne. That's mm-hmm. how good he was in this game, and he deserved it. He absolutely earned it. But I thought consistent. I, one of the things that was really impressive uh, to me was Monty Williams and his willingness to change up the rotations based on the guys who are playing really well. That's the advantage of having a deep team, and the depth really showed itself today. Uh, Obviously, they're trying to stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but there were moments of this game where it was all five bench guys, and there were five bench guys who played really well. There was a point where they extended the lead, pretty significantly (laughs) extended the lead. Uh, With just bench guys on the floor... Then as the this the half was coming down to an end here, he took Devin Booker out for a while and left Chris Paul in. He took Chris Paul out and put Cameron Payne in. Like these these are minutes of the game that are insanely important. Closing the quarters, closing the halves. And his willingness to put bench guys in when they're playing really well was impressive to me. He he's done a really great job. The main thing is preparing the guys because you have to be prepared to play a team like New Orleans. New Orleans they have Zion. They have Brandon Ingram was one of the best players to start the league so far this season. And to have, I mean, look, we can talk about it every single game. To have a guy like Mikhail Bridges to throw out there against someone like Brandon Ingram every single game is such a luxury, especially when DeAndre Ayton's rim protection is as good as it was this game. I thought he was pretty good this game as far as protecting the rim. That's essentially two guys that are going to lock you down as much as you can possibly be locked down. And I think they did a really good job on Brandon Ingram in this game specifically. Just consistency all around from from basically all the guys. To, to go back to the bench that we were talking about a second ago, there was this specific lineup in the early second quarter. It was really the first time the Suns broke open a lead. And there was no Booker and no Paul. 
But you know what? Dario Sarge played tonight. And with Dario Sarge on the floor, plus Cam Johnson and Cameron Payne, I watched those three on the floor together. I think Langston Galloway was also on the court. I don't remember who the fifth guy was. Um, but I felt this sense of ease wash over me. You know, it was just pure relief at having Dario Sarge at that backup five spot as opposed to Damian Jones or even Frank Kaminsky. And I thought Frank Kaminsky did his best in the, in the couple of games he played. Yeah. But Sarge is such an upgrade. Oh, um, wow. and, and the playmaking with those guys, we, we talked already about campaign controlling the pace, but when you throw Sarge in there, he had some, he just, he, he really runs the floor very yeah. well um, for a five. And, you know, he'll, he'll collect, you he posted some clips of it on Twitter. He'll uh, secure the defensive rebound and then just charge down the floor. He'll set three or four screens for other guys yeah. and then he'll dive to the rim. And, yeah. and he's not an athletic guy, but he finds a way, just like Payne does, honestly. They're both finesse finishers. They just find a way to finish at the rim. Um, obviously, in addition to his three-point shooting, he was um, he was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, a big headline for this game was Dario Sarge is back. He's back. And you're right. I, I think, look, he he played 14 minutes. He was plus 21 in those minutes. And I know plus minus in a single game doesn't matter, but there's certain times where it just feels like it should matter. And this is one of those times where it just feels like it should matter because plus 21 in 14 minutes is not something that you can scoff at. That's insanely impressive to be able to do that. But his ability to make quick decisions is why he is such an important piece for this team. There's never a moment where he's not setting a screen, diving to the rim, sealing off his man, or catching the ball and making an immediate decision with the ball, whether it be passing to someone cutting because he's capable of passing those little bounce passes to guys cutting to the rim, or finding shooters wide open. And to have a guy who's playing center who can sort of stand in that horns area, right? This is the the horns office is, uh, offense is commonly where the big men stand at the... Uh, the, there's the free throw line essentially free throw line extended if you will yeah the elbows yeah the elbows and they find guys based on that and they, that's essentially a playmaking position for a big man you can't really put a big man in those positions often unless they're capable of playmaking for other guys because it's in that in-between area where you have the ability of playmaking for guys at the rim or playmaking for guys at the three-point line and to have a guy who's capable of standing in that horns area and catching the ball and making decisions as fast as he does is insanely valuable. He's a starter that's coming off the bench for this team. He's capable of starting on teams. And, you know, for Monty Williams, I'm going to sing his praises a lot, to really unlock what Dario Sharks does for this team in the way that he has, especially because he wasn't that good to start. You know, think back to the beginning of last season. He, his role was not clearly defined. He was trying to start next to DeAndre Ayton. The spacing wasn't quite there. He was essentially a guy that was forced to play like Cameron Johnson, and he's not that. He just exactly. isn't. Yeah. He's more of what he is now, which is a connecting piece that makes everything around him work. And I don't think it's any coincidence that he comes back and they look this good because there was a giant glaring hole on this team before that was Damian Jones. I feel bad that we're going to pile on him. He might not even be in the NBA in a few weeks, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> look, that's how bad he's it, been. Yeah, I don't want to pile on Damian Jones. However, you just look at the obvious difference when 
one guy can dribble and, and the other guy can't. And, and really, it's so important to the scheme. It's so important that every position, every player in this scheme be able to have the maximum number of options whenever they catch the ball. So yes, you want them to have the vision where they can make passes. You want them to have the strength so they can set screens in the case of big men. But also dribbling adds that third layer. Guys in horn sets, as you're just talking about, standing at the elbow who can also put the ball on the floor, it, it just makes him all the more dangerous. And you know what, Dario, I'm looking at the box score right now. He had one assist and three turnovers. Um, I'd have to rewatch the game, but I, I don't think that tells a story at all. I think... No he had some hockey assists tonight, yeah, you know, absolutely. and he's just, he's whipping the ball around the floor and, and just making plays. Like he talked about after the bubble um, in his introductory press conference this year, he said in the bubble, he felt this freedom. They were just running down the floor and making plays and it all, it all felt natural. And when you can reduce a scheme like that to just these, these basic parts that collectively fit together so fantastically, um, I don't know. I mean, like we, we saw the Suns at full strength for the first time this season, and it's not reasonable to expect them to stay this way for the entire year because there are going to be other, you know, obviously I don't want to jinx anyone, but there are probably going to be other ticky tack injuries at some point. You hope guys don't miss too many games, but you're not always going to be at this level of, of strength. But we saw a glimpse of just how well this team can utilize its full depth. And honestly, I think it, it calls into question, like, what is their ceiling now? Like, I don't want to overreact. Yeah to one blowout win they're only three and one that's it's very early in the season um but but i mean they, after this they look like they can go toe-to-toe with anyone i think that they're first of all we don't really know how good new orleans is right so that's a big part of this interestingly the kings had a big win over the nuggets today without some of their best players but it's still fair to say that the kings looked a little better than we expected and the suns beat them pretty handily in that second game after a really close game where they all kind of played really badly. But something I want to point out about Dario Saric real quick is having the mind of a playmaker isn't just about being capable of passing the ball. It's also just understanding where guys need to be in order for plays to be made. And if you just take any play where Dario's on the court and just watch him, which is something I did in this game a lot, because he's back and it's so nice to see him on the court again especially after the bubble where he was so insanely impressive he's always in the right place he's always setting a screen a little extra screen he's always running to the right place as fast as he possibly can he's rolling to the rim when he can to make sure that shooters get open when that doesn't work he's very quick to jump back out to that horns area and be ready to catch the ball and move it as quickly as possible it's the brain of a playmaker more than it is the skill it's almost like Look, he's not built like LeBron James, right? He can't do the things LeBron James does, but he has that same kind of mind where he understands, he's got that sort of genius level basketball mind where he understands where it is. He just doesn't really have the body to do the things that LeBron James does. And I know I'm making a Dario Saric, LeBron James comparison here. (laughs) Probably for the first time in in recorded audio history. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, look, I just think that there are certain guys that understand the game at the right... They're ballers, right? They're, they're basketball. They're hoopers, as, as Kevin Durant would call them. For for what Dario does specifically for the Suns on offense, like a budget Jokic is probably a better comparison. Yeah, that's right? a like great way to Like, he still doesn't have the body of Jokic. Like, he's not just going to surround you with his entire right? body and back you down and, and kind of put you at his will physically, even though he is strong, but he's not that strong. But he does have the same sort of IQ. I I mean, he's not that level of playmaker, but for a bench guy, it's kind of the same. Very few people can do the things that Jokic does. I do think that 
Sharich is the type of guy that might be able to see it. And I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. He can see those things. He may not be able to always make the right play, but being able to understand it also means that the little things that you do don't show up on the stat sheet often. And he just seems to have those things down in a way now that he didn't at the beginning of last season. And that's very, very fun to watch. Um, you know, we're talking about the sort of ceiling of this team. I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. Let's save it for the end of this podcast because the Suns have like a few tests coming up with the games that they're going to play relatively soon. But I do want to ask you, you know, for as happy as we are, as fun as this game was, a 25-point victory on TNT, Devin Booker still ended the game with eight points and three assists. Is this something to be concerned about? Because <laughs> as much as it, as much as they are capable of beating the Pelicans, how much that matters, I'm not really sure yet. You're I, you're I, trying to draw the first take <laughs> takes for me. You're trying to go viral right now. Um, it, I mean, it's concerning. I'll be honest. I am concerned by it because that's just surprising. Look like that's honestly yet. surprising. So I guess we found something to disagree about in this episode. Um, I don't I don't care at all you know i mean it was clear devin got a lot of just basic spot up shots off tonight and he just missed them and you know i think he just had one of those nights i think we've seen from him before that look he's not he's honestly despite his reputation he's not the greatest three-point shooter in the world he's at his best when he's getting to the rim and being aggressive and looking for his mid-range shot that's where he can be a killer and tonight i think it was just a case of he didn't even have to he he was allowed to be passive because his teammates picked up the slack for him I'm not worried about, I mean, this is a guy with five years of experience um, and five years on his resume to tell us that he has that offensive mindset where he can seek out his own shot. Uh, I'm going to give him a pass for like the first game in his career where his teammates were actually <laughs> able to to help him to this extent. No, you're absolutely right. I guess my concerns go beyond this specific game. He had some turnover troubles in the first three games. Uh, and he just doesn't seem to be looking for his shot in the same way that he was, say, in the bubble when they looked at their best last season. Now, it should be said that you're right. The fact that he does not have to do that in order to win is great. But at some point, the Suns will need him to do that in order to win. There are going to be games where the guys like Jay Crowder is a perfect example you know, Jay Crowder, five for eight from three, four for four from the free throw line. That's just not going to happen on a regular basis. He has to be the guy uh, that can be relied on in certain scenarios where they absolutely need him to score. Am I concerned long-term? Not at all. Am I concerned short-term? A little bit. I think there is an element of he has to find the proper role on this team, which is a mixture of looking for a shot and finding other guys open. And I think there is an element to... Chris Paul is so good at dictating the pace and the flow of this game that maybe it's okay that he's not quite the playmaker that he was in previous seasons because now, even though Rubio was what he was, Chris Paul is something more than that. And maybe there is a point where he has to understand that his role is now scoring a little bit more than it was before. And I know that this is a weird game to say this afterwards, but it's not the only game that happened since the last time we recorded. We only recorded after that first game. So it's something that I'm just a little bit, I'm monitoring. Maybe yeah, I'm not I, overly concerned about it, but I'm monitoring it. I mean, we haven't, it's been four games now and we haven't seen a Devin Booker-esque performance in the way you think of one. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I do think he's mostly looking for his shots. I mean, he's not been aggressive because he hasn't had to be, but 
he is looking for kind of the similar sorts of difficult shots that we saw in the bubble. Like he's taking pull-up transition threes early in the shot clock. We've seen that from him. I think that was in the in the Dallas game and maybe in Sacramento as well. Some of the the difficult pull-up mid-range work has has come through as well. So I you know, I I I think he's still, you know, he's still got it all in his his repertoire. Yeah. I'm just not really worried about it. I think the only thing that we could call into question about Devin's first week the, um, this week is that the turnover numbers were entirely too high and not all of like I I went back and I know you did too and watched all of his turnovers from uh, those two games against the Kings and some of them were the fault of the role man but not all of them um, yeah. some of them or Mikhail were Bridges just, missing it or like a bad cut by Jake Crowder yeah. there were guys that were responsible for those yeah but but ultimately I mean we know Devin has the the playmaking sorry book Devin makes him uncomfortable. We know Book <laughs> has the uh, the playmaking chops. Um, look, and we look. know, uh, based on limited sample size maybe, but I still think we do know that point book lineups in spurts when they do have to stagger CP3 um, and him, those lineups are still going to be successful as well. So I, I think they'll figure it out. It's early on in the season, and, and we're 3-1, and one and we have maybe the best defensive rating in the NBA. They <laughs> yeah. haven't updated the stats yet after this yeah. game, but we might. So uh, we're, we're nitpicking at this point for sure. All I'm saying is... When Chris Paul puts the the king of Brooklyn, Jay-Z, on FaceTime with Devin Booker, if you had to bet on the points, you would probably bet the over after that. You think that something was about to happen with Devin Booker. TNT, you know, a a few mediocre Devin Booker performances before that. Now it's a national game. Now Chris Paul put Jay-Z on the phone with him to to give him an extra boost of confidence that Devin Booker himself said he needed and he scored eight points. It's just a little bit surprising. And it didn't matter. Honestly, it didn't matter. Because because at some point with this specific game, at some point he, he just understood, oh, I don't need to do my Devin Booker thing in order to win this. And that's probably great. I, I'm okay being uh, J.J. Redick light for one game and just sort of winning this game by 40 points. Uh, and and that's, that's what they needed. And that's what they did. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back. We should talk about the Wings, the guys who are making a huge difference on this team now in a way that surprised me. And then let's talk about the next few games that are coming up because I think that's going to be a real interesting conversation. We'll be right back. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. 
Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Sam, I want to ask you about a specific player, Mikhail Bridges specifically. There was a point that we were talking about Mikhail Bridges in our over-under episode where we talked about how he had the best true shooting percentage. I think he was the most efficient Suns player last season because of his shots at the three-point line and his ability to get to the rim. He was a great cutter. Somehow, that efficiency has scaled in a way that I did not expect. He is now taking more shots. He seems to be creating for himself a little bit more. Maybe it was similar to what he was doing at the end of last season. But it almost feels like he's a bit of a different player. Now, we talked about the ceiling for the team. Maybe a conversation we need to have now is the ceiling for individual guys like Mikhail Bridges. I've been insanely impressed with him. What have you thought? Yeah, he's creating for himself. I mean, he's not a guy who's going to go out and get like 50% of his shots unassisted now, but that's not his game and that's not what you want him to do. What it does, though, is it adds this interesting wrinkle to the Suns offense where like a couple games ago, or or maybe this was actually in preseason, I remember he took a pull-up three against LeBron. And I remember <laughs> I noted that maybe he was on an episode last week, maybe it was two weeks ago, they all blur together. But I, I noted on that episode that it was like wow like he's burying pull-up threes in LeBron James's face that's a level of confidence that we haven't seen from him before but now he just takes new things into his offensive repertoire every single night like tonight we saw a step back three from him in transition <laughs> he got the steal he, he intercepted a pass that was going to Steven Adams came down the other side of the floor and then stepped back into a smooth three he's showing off you know different types of mid-range looks every single game he's snaking the pick and roll just like we've seen Chris Paul and Devin Booker do very effectively in their careers so what it adds to the Suns offense is I think other teams like the Pelicans tonight are scouting the Suns and they're coming into the game thinking we're going to put a lot of pressure like New Orleans tonight on the inside on Chris Paul on Devin Booker when they come around those pick and rolls we're going to pack the paint and we're going to dare the Mm -hmm. role players to shoot and make shots that works sometimes It, it doesn't work if the Suns role players are hitting all their shots but it does work if the the assumption is that Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges are exactly like Jay Crowder. They're not going to create for (laughs) themselves. They're afraid of attacking closeouts. They're not going to put the ball on the floor and make a move to get to the basket. If what we've seen from those two guys, and I know you didn't directly ask me about Cam, but but I know we're going to... He's next. These two guys, with what they're doing now, attacking closeouts as frequently as they are, looking for their mid-range shot, even if we don't want it to be the primary aspect of their game... This is what makes the Suns offense like unbeatable potentially because then what do you do? You know, if if you're putting all if you're throwing everything you have at Chris Paul and Devin Booker only for Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson to prove that they can beat you by not only hitting their open spot of shots, but also attacking closeouts and and getting to the rim, making smart plays, uh, you know, throwing up lobs for DeAndre Ayton sometimes, then 
the Suns offense, I mean, it, it just doesn't have a weak spot. And to circle back to Mikhail specifically, the sheepish player that we saw at the beginning of last year who was afraid to take yes. a three if it wasn't wide open in yes. the corner and who would like, you know, he, throughout the season, he slowly started to get his bearings about him. He would cut more often. But until the bubble, it was still pretty clear that Mikhail was like not a confident offensive player. In the bubble, he got much better. And opening up this season, it's just been a world of difference. It's it's yeah. insane, honestly. It really is. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. The, the point that I was sort of going to get at here was that it's not just the efficiency, the getting the shot. It's the willingness to shoot, the preparedness to shoot. It's something that we talked about with Cameron Johnson. You know, we need him to shoot. We need him to be ready to shoot it. But also, Mikhail Bridges is tall. Mikhail Bridges has really long arms. It's very difficult to block a Mikhail Bridges shot. And if you do, there's a good chance that it's also going to be a foul. And that means a willingness to shoot. And I think that's the thing that I thought was ultra impressive about what he has done so far. It is that he is ready and willing and prepared to shoot as soon as he catches the ball. And there seems to be an understanding there where he says this whole offense, everything that we're doing does not work if I'm not willing to do that. That means that he's going to launch a lot of threes every single game but that also means that with him with his understanding his level of basketball IQ if he sees that closeout he's going to be prepared to grab and go and I, th- I think there's something really impressive about both him and Cameron Johnson it's their uh, how ready they are to attack closeouts has been really impressive there's a thing that Mikhail Bridges does when he catches it on a closeout it's like he's loading up to attack that closeout before the ball even gets to him. And that's a first step thing. That's a thing where by the time the defender gets out to him, Mikhail Bridges is already on the other side of that guy. And this is something that Devin Booker has always been really good at. And what he's done now when he's on the other side of that guy has been really fascinating because before it was a cut directly to the basket. If there was a defender underneath the basket Mikhail Bridges is going to try and find another guy he's a good passer he can find a cut man he can find a guy at the three-point line but now he has found a way to keep that handle alive with a defender either at his hip or behind him and his confidence now pulling up either for a short jump shot which I love because those short jump shots seem to be really easy for him and look like I said about him being impossible to block at the three-point line that essentially translates to the rim as well but also to step back and confidently confidently take a mid-range shot is something that I did not expect out of him quite in the way that he has done so far this season it's something that has been surprising for me there's there's an element of he looks like a playmaker out there and I imagine because of the way that he sort of sees the game the way he sort of is able to understand what other players are doing, that's going to turn into more assists for him later as well. And that's something that we talked about last season. He's a better passer than I think he's gotten credit for. It's just there's other guys that have been insanely ball dominant on this team so far, and both of them have the initial CP, which is funny enough, uh, not really Devin Booker so far, that Mikhail Bridges hasn't really had those opportunities. I think Mm -hmm. those are going to come. Because if he continues to take shots in the mid-range, eventually defenses are going to adjust to that. 
And he's going to be capable of adjusting in that second way, which is finding guys at the rim and finding guys at the three-point line. I've been insanely impressed with him. The defense is the defense still. Like, that's something that we were exactly. a little, we noted in the preseason, but that's back entirely. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, you can't question his defense. He, he brings the effort every night. And so when he can start to add those wrinkles to his offense as well, it's just it makes a, a fantastic player. Um, overall, and you talk, you know, to, just to hammer home the point a little bit more, if I haven't said it enough over the past year, you talk about him looking like a playmaker. That's the system. That's the point. You know, Not just Monty Williams' coaching system, but also James Jones' vision. That's really what it yeah. is. They're not bringing in players who they don't believe have the capacity to do that. If you don't have, you know, a couple of exceptions, maybe, uh, when, when you start to get to, like, rim-running bigs and, and stuff like that. Not to call out a, a specific guy. Um, <laughs> but but for the most part, any wing on this team has to have that ability to, to look like a playmaker because otherwise you can't you can't run the system, and that's, that's the entire point of what we're doing here. Um, and with Cam, I just think it's interesting. Like, I didn't expect the mid-range shooting from Cam either. He took 10 threes tonight, in fairness. So, like, I think this was the first game of the season for Cam where it was very much like rookie season cam and he was just out there and he was he was hitting spot ups because that's like the primary thing that he does but in the previous games against the kings definitely a lot of mid-range uh, dribble drive creation out of him too and i think if you go back if you listen to um brendan clean with locked on suns when he interviewed cam johnson this was last week maybe mm-hmm. even almost two weeks ago at this point one thing that cam was talking about he was talking about how he's developed this close bond with Mikhail and obviously a lot of it is that off-court camaraderie stuff the fact that they're basically the same age but also that they were working on the same things on the court Mm -hmm. you know that they knew what they were both trying to add to their games because a lot of it was the same stuff and so when Cam talks about that I'm sure that's exactly what he's referencing he's referencing they want both of these guys to be able to catch and put the ball on the floor without hesitation so that they can get some of that penetration and kind of sink the defense and and collapse it to, to get a better shot yeah, it's, it's been really impressive. And I think if Mikhail continues to be capable of pulling up from mid-range and Cameron Johnson continues to be capable of pulling up from mid-range, how do you guard this team? <laughs> like, really? Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. You can't. It's really impossible. Especially if they continue to be capable of moving the ball as quickly as they're capable of doing. And, you know, Cameron Johnson, I just sort of went on a diatribe about Mikhail Bridges. A lot of that applies to Cameron Johnson as well. I think the big difference is, one, Cameron Johnson is taller, I believe. I don't know what they're listed at. He looks taller than Mikhail Bridges, and the ability to to launch threes. He shot 10 threes for the first time this season. He only had one game last season where he shot more than 10 threes, and it was 13 threes, and of course he had six. And I believe it was his uh, season high in points scored. He needs to shoot more and more of those, and I think he understands that in the right way now. But I do think that there has to be the right balance of shooting that three and understanding how to attack that closeout because he's clearly capable of that. And for him, the mid-range is fine, and I'm okay if he shoots a few of those mid-ranges, but he's shown an ability to get to the rim in a really interesting way, and I think he's going to be able to draw some fouls on that. And look, his defense has been good so far too. It's it's a weird thing where both Mikhail Bridges and and uh, Cameron Johnson are sort of molding into the same player offensively. They mm-hmm. do a lot of the same things so far. And Mikhail Bridges, if he continues to hit the three the way he has been, he's had one bad game. But outside that, 
uh, if he continues to hit the three the way he has been, it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how those guys develop. And for a guy like James Jones to really find Cameron Johnson, he's got, <laughs> he's got to be really victory laps constantly in his brain. Somebody asked us a question for this podcast, and their one question was, is James Jones a witch? <laughs> which, Let me see if I can dig that up. Yeah, so you give credit to that guy because what a great question to ask. Ah, yes. It's not the- just Cameron Johnson. You know, it's not just, you know, some people give him credit for that Mikhail Bridges one. I, I don't really do that. It seems like a James Jones pick. I'll say that, but it doesn't really, you can't give him credit for it. Uh, but also Cameron Payne at this point, like finding that sort of diamond in the rough. And it should be said, as as amazing as Cameron Payne has been, it's still 12 games and he needs to continue to do well. I don't really expect this level of, of performance out of him. And if he can keep it up, there is a chance <laughs> well, that he ends up that six man of the, in the six-man-of-the-year conversation. He's he's still shooting 50% from deep as a son. <laughs> That's over insane. Over 12 games now since the bubble because he was three for six tonight. So eventually wow. that has to go away. Anyway, I want to credit the PP man. <laughs> It's funny because I didn't pay attention to his name at the time. Figured I had to had to credit the guy. So there's your credit. Um, yeah, man. But but do you want to talk about these games coming up? Before Wait, no, we I gotta ask because... you. We have to talk okay. about it. All right, fine. DeAndre. Eaton. Sure. Yeah, I want I wanted to know if we could maybe take a week off. Um, <laughs> okay. Not even in a bad way. Just like you know, people have. It's exhausting. Their... It's becoming exactly. It's it just just let the kid play at a certain point. Um, okay, let me do, say do one you... thing. Sure. Can we put the moratorium on any DeAndre in future contract conversation until, let's say, at least the last two months of the season? You mean like we did with Mikhail Bridges' uh, his shot? Yeah, but I think there's an element of, yeah, you can talk about Mikhail Bridges' shot, but I also think that when you're talking about a player's contract situation after every single goddamn game... It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, it's we exhausting. cannot continue... To have the is DeAndre in a max player conversation after every single game. That's just it's I it's agree. not a useful conversation in any way because you play, play you pay players for what they do on the aggregate, not what they do on an individual game basis. So can we just not talk about that until let's at least say till after the trade deadline. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. Uh I mean look, people are still gonna get sucked into it online. Yeah, but I you will and do my I my best. I will do my best to stay out of it. <laughs> Uh, that's my promise to you today. Uh, do you want to ask me any more leading questions about his game today? No, no, no. I we, just... Look, I, th- I actually thought as as bad thought as the start good. was, I thought exactly. he did relatively well. I, that's all I was going to say. I thought there was that one low light that really pissed me off. Literally the first offensive possession of the game for the Suns where he caught the ball. Adams was like 10 feet away. And he's just so used to catching it there and then jab stepping and hesitating that he allowed Steven Adams to, to catch up to him and didn't attack the basket when he could have. After that, look, it was a DeAndre Ayton game. You know, he didn't he didn't dominate offensively, but he had some tip-ins. He yeah. was good on the glass. He showed good effort. Most importantly, he set the tone defensively, and I thought he played exactly. really well defensively. And and that was the most important stuff. That's kind of what we've always talked about with him. He I needs to set the tone defensively. If Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson continue to excel offensively, at some point we have to be okay understanding that DeAndre Ayton is going to be a bit of a role player on this team. He's not going to be fed like a star, but I think it's okay to understand that in the right way, in that this team can be really great with a role player as good as DeAndre Ayton, a role player that's capable 
of being a big giant guy who can guard other big giant guys and stop them from getting rebounds and capable of switching onto smaller guys and guarding them on the perimeter and then maybe only touching the balls six times a game, seven times a game on a regular basis and then every once in a while exploding for 25, 30 points. And that's okay, you know, because there are other guys that will pick up the slack offensively. So, you know, as much as we want to have the conversation that other people are having, I think there's a little bit of, there's an acceptance process, I think, for Suns fans where they have to say, this team has a lot of talent, and that means that he does not have to be treated like a star at this point, even if there's a ton of potential there. And that's okay, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It speaks to the depth of this team, which is how we open this episode. And look, I think DeAndre is going to have stretches of this season where he has a good run of games and maybe averages 20 points per game over stretches. Based on the first four games, so I mean, (laughs) I I think that over-under we set at the beginning of the season, what did we set it at? Like 19 and a half? 19 and a half, yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's getting there. And then that's okay because the defense is what's most important. And so yeah. as long as we're seeing the defense. Look, but, but the way I don't think works. we're getting a 19 and a half. And I will say, <laughs> last thing I'll say, you know, I, I know a lot of fantasy basketball owners who are already disappointed in this guy because they, they took him like, you know, 20th or 30th or yeah. something. Like they took him in the second round. That's their problem. That has no bearings on the Suns' ability to succeed as, as a basketball franchise this year. Yeah. Um, but I did think it was funny. I, I ended up on a fantasy basketball forum um, that was talking about Mikhail Bridges today just because it ended up in like a Google search or, or something. <laughs> and uh, I just saw I saw a lot of people being like, why is DeAndre Ayton averaging 11 points per game? Feed him the fucking ball. And I just <laughs> I, I got a little bit of a, a chuckle out of that. Yeah, I, look, I just think it's the expectations are way off on both sides. Like some people are expecting him to be terrible. Some people are expecting him to be an absolute superstar. And I think, look, at this point, like not even Devin Booker has looked like an absolute superstar. And I think a lot of the way the defense are guarding this team, what they're doing is they're packing the paint. Why are they packing the paint? Well, because Devin Booker's really good there. And DeAndre Ayton has the potential to be really good there. And that means other guys are going to get open and there's not going to be a lot of shots by those two guys. Yeah, and Chris Paul as well. So that's that's what it's going to look like for a while. If... The shots start to drop and this team averages, you know, 17, 15 or whatever it is, however many threes a game is, is close to the top of the league. Then maybe that's going to open up the paint a little bit more. And just like you said, he'll start scoring 20 points a game and then it'll shift again. But right now what they're doing is packing the paint. And that means that not a lot of shots are going to be open there. And that means other guys will be open. And that's a good thing. But yeah, it's okay to understand that you just don't have to force it to him and this team will still be good. And that's a really great situation. Exactly. As you said, okay. Do you have the schedule up? I didn't bring it up for myself for the next three games before um, our next episode. So the next four games are all going to be really tough, but the next three, I'm thinking we're going to record Sunday night. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, we've got Utah, Denver and the Clippers between now and then that's a test. Mm -hmm. That's a real, that's a real test. Yeah. Utah, Denver, and LA Clippers is is a fascinating one. Utah, we saw it in the preseason. Uh, they're shooting a ton of threes now. Actually, they've had a very Houston Rockets-esque shot profile to start the season. They're shooting a ton of threes, and they're getting a lot of shots at the rim. Look, the Suns' defense has looked really good uh, so far. Uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they match up against that team. Now that sort of their rhythm is back, 
guys are healthy. Those preseason games meant nothing as far as wins and losses, as we've talked about. So the fact that they lost to the Utah Jazz twice in a row does not matter at all. Um, Donovan Mitchell has struggled a little bit out of the gates. Uh, you know, they have that max player in Rudy Gobert. Hopefully, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that can step up and help offensively. No, he's not. I'm just kidding. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how they do against that team. They've, you know, Devin Booker had 59 against them once, but also they've done a relatively good job at defending him at other times. Uh, what do you think about that matchup specifically? Yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, look, Utah has a... I wouldn't say they have a deep team necessarily, but like it's not like Gobert has to step up on offense right. because they've got Boyan, yep. twenty point per game score last year. Ingles, Mike Conley, they've got they've got talent um, in spades. So it doesn't just have to be Donovan to loop the next team into this discussion a little bit. Um, it has been interesting so far. You remember that amazing first round series last year between denver and utah where jamal murray and um donovan mitchell both went off just consistently every night and both of those guys have not looked like their bubble selves so far jamal murray when the suns play their following game um against denver has not looked like bubble jamal murray but he may he may come back for that one yeah actually that's a great point because if jamal murray doesn't play you know that that becomes a little bit different uh the denver team they just lost to the kings tonight as we were talking about uh, that team has been a really interesting matchup against the Suns in the past, but this is a really different team. This is very, very different. Lots of guys, I, I, I talked about it previously online. The Suns are 25th in continuity over year over year, meaning that they were one of the teams that did not necessarily have the highest amount of players returning. I think it's a nice thing with the Suns in that like a lot of the really high usage players returned other than Ricky Rubio. You know, replacing him with Chris Paul, you're going to be fine. Chris Paul, by the way, we didn't even talk about him. Like, he just immediately fit into this team and just gets assists with no turnovers just on every single game. It's really remarkable how good he is and almost how quiet it can be for him to just do his thing, his Chris Paul thing, over and over and over again. You know, there are times where he can explode and score some points. He had 22 points in that loss. Um, but he understands at moments that he doesn't really need to do it. He's been remarkable, but I think it's such a massively different matchup against those nugget that Nuggets team. But back to back, those two teams are going to be fascinating. Follow that up with the Clippers. We're talking about the ceiling of this team. It feels really high right now, especially if everyone is healthy. I think that's a big, big, big thing. We talked a lot about how important Dario Saric is, but after these three games, we're going to have a lot better understanding of how high it can be. Yeah, and I actually hope uh, everyone's at full strength all three games. I know Kawhi, I don't know if you saw that game uh, against Denver, actually, it was, where Kawhi got popped in the jaw by uh, Serge Ibaka and was gushing a lot of blood uh, on the TV broadcast, had to get stitches. So he missed the following game, which is when they got trounced by Dallas by 50. That's right. Um, so, you know, if if the Clippers are still playing without Kawhi, it's a few days from now, so I imagine maybe he'll be back, although I haven't heard an update. Um, if the Clippers are playing without Kawhi, that's not as interesting of a matchup. If the Clippers are playing with Kawhi and if Denver is playing with everyone, which I believe they should be, and Utah, um, yeah, those are real challenges for the Suns. And I mean, look, if you go 2-1 and one over this stretch, especially if you somehow manage to go 3-0, and oh, uh, I mean, Mike, if, if the Suns go 3-0 and oh over this stretch and they're 6-1, and one, you know, wow. I think I think they would be. That is what it would take to be the talk of the league. Look, right like now, it would be, they're number one in the West, technically. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Right yeah, I, I would I would even go as far I would even go as far as saying if you can rack up two more wins here against Utah and Denver, you're five and one, you're likely gonna be first in the West and you'll have a couple more high profile games. You've got the Clippers coming up after that, but then you've got Toronto right after them, which is no easy matchup. They've been um, a little not great so far though. Toronto's been bad this year, don't get me wrong, but it's still on paper. I mean it's so early. It's it's hard. It's it's hard at the beginning of the season, you know, because like every year there are those examples of teams like the Suns last year. The Suns went seven and four uh, to, to yeah. open up the gate last year, and we remember how invested the fan base got in those games, and and it was good for us. A lot of people were suddenly tuning into our podcast, but <laughs> but there was also this element then of like, oh, Deont- they're playing without DeAndre Ayton. Aaron Baines can't shoot fifty percent from three forever. They can't sustain this. So if the Suns open up the gate five and one, six and one this year, hypothetically, you might still see a little bit of that in the analysis. But on the other hand, if you can point at it and you can say, we beat Utah when they were at full strength and we beat Dallas, uh, I guess they weren't at full strength, but but we beat we beat New Orleans at full strength and we beat, uh, who else are we playing? Denver. You know, we beat all of these objective playoff teams. Then it's going to look like it's for real. Mm-hmm. And, and at a certain point, I haven't, you know, we are recording this literally right after the game, so I'm not on Twitter or Reddit or anything right now to tell you what the national discourse is about the Suns right now after this game. But I imagine already they turned a lot of heads tonight, yeah. uh, and and that will continue to be the case if they can rack up a couple more. Yeah, an absolute blowout. I know that the TNT crew interviewed Chris Paul after the game, which I think makes a lot of sense. First of all, he's a huge star. I mean, State Farm commercials every commercial break. Uh but also, I think he's going to get a lot of credit for, for what this team is doing, and I think he deserves it because, uh, first of all, Jay Crowder wouldn't even be on the team who led the team in scoring without Chris Paul. There's a big difference maker there. Uh, but also, as I've talked about, guys are on their game when they play with superstars, so it makes a difference to have a guy like that. I do have news, though. According to at uh, Deadpool0248, his name is Adi on Twitter, he said, Shaq called Aiton Baby Shaq in the postgame show. No. <laughs> no, he didn't. For a, I'm looking at the box score right here. For a 13-12 and 12 performance. He did and great. And that's, that's not even a knock on DeAndre because I thought DeAndre played a fine game. But, like, Shaq has high expectations. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, look, they don't play anything alike. <laughs> No, no, not <laughs> at all. I thought thing. it was funny. I thought it was funny actually during the halftime analysis when they do the little film stuff. Uh, Shaq was like, uh, oh, "Was it Shaq? I can't even remember." It was. It was maybe it was Charles. Um, it was one of them. Um, they were talking about Zion. Obviously, they spent too much of the halftime show talking about Zion, but I get it. But they were saying, "What is his position going to be going forward? Can he play center?" And they sort of showed a post up. They they were like, "You know, here he is playing center against Aiton. He's too small. Aiton gets the post up." And but it it was a clip of you know Aiton gets the ball over Zion. Yes, he is like taller than him, but he immediately goes to he yeah he immediately goes to the the turnaround baseline jumper, and it worked. Aiton made the shot. He got fouled. But I thought it was funny that they were using it as this example yeah. of like Aiton's physicality was was too much for Zion. And I was just like, that is that is not true. For the record, because I now feel like I have to say it, that's probably the right shot against Zion because he's insanely strong. Uh, so, you know, shooting over him makes a lot of sense. It's not really a guy you can bully under the basket. But yeah, it's they just play so differently. But, I mean, if anything... It just proves their willingness to praise the Suns. And I'll say this, and I'll end with this. And, of course, if you have anything else, feel free. But 
this was the most fun I've had watching the Suns in a long time. There have been blowouts. The Suns have played well against other teams. This felt different because Devin Booker didn't do much. And a lot of the guys that were brought on this team to play well played very well. And some of the younger guys play very well as well with Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson and Cameron Payne. There was just something different about the way this team played. The basketball was basketball. It wasn't just a team hitting threes and blowing out a team because they, you know, they made 20 threes or whatever it was. It felt right. It felt like a team that under everyone understood their roles and everyone was moving the ball really well. Uh, I had a great, great, great time, and I'm looking forward to watching the rest of this game. Look, it's always fun to record after a win. You know, a, a win where they're up by 40, even more fun, of course. But I do think that there is an element of this team understands their roles in really good ways. I, to- I talked about it on our episode with Kellen Olsen. I didn't have a lot of fear about this team. I think there were enough tools in the toolbox for them to be really good. And I think we're seeing that so far, and I hope it continues. Any last thoughts on this game or even the other two games before we uh, before we go? You hit the nail on the head. It's it's the difference between... We've had good moments in the past. Last year was fun for us, um, I think, honestly. To, I mean, the bubble. Yeah. There were a lot of there were a lot of high moments, but it was the difference between there was always you know when we were put on national TV in the past we'd only get one or two cracks at it a season, <laughs> and there was always this element of seeking validation, seeking acceptance of Devin Booker. We wanted so bad for Devin Booker to be accepted right. by the national community as right. the superstar that we believed him to be. That's all gone now. Like everyone knows Devin Booker is great. Everyone knows Chris Paul is great. So now it's about team-oriented basketball and getting people to buy into the vision right. under James Jones, Monty Williams. I said at, at some point during the game, I don't remember when exactly, but like this is the type of performance, um, the, the contribution that you got from your role players tonight, it's the type of performance that could start a Coach of the Year narrative for Monty Williams early in the season. And we've got a very, very long way to go, but things are, things are looking pretty good for that man right now. And I'm glad we have him for another four years. This will be a fascinating week for Suns fans, starting with this TNT game. We'll be back after those three huge games, and then another one immediately after that, hopefully with great news. But I think, like I said, a lot more information about who this team is. So we'll be back soon. What was it about this team that you liked coming from a young team in OKC? Um, There's a lot of similarities, to tell you the truth. Uh, young core. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, Monty. You know what I mean? Monty was my coach 10 years ago, which is crazy, in New Orleans. And, um, you know, Willie Green, uh, who was a teammate of mine, assistant coach. Uh, a, lot, a lot of parts here, man. And, and the biggest thing is we got a lot of guys who work, who work. And, and when you got a group like that, um, you know, it makes it exciting to come to, to practice and to work every day. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.